Hello out there, bibliophiles, and welcome to Season 4 of Drew Archives in 10. I'm Andrew Salvati, Adjunct Professor of Media and Communications here at Drew. And before we get started with the season's opener, a quick programming note. You can now find Drew Archives in 10 on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher, in addition to our home at the Drew University Participatory Archives. So if you found us on one of these platforms and you like the show, I hope you'll follow us and share us with a friend and consider leaving us a rating or a review. That's it for now, so let's head on over to the archives and join up with Candace Riley for a look at the new exhibition launching this spring semester on Dangerous Books. We are here back in the archives with Candace Riley. Candace, how you doing? Doing great. Happy to show you something really exciting today. Before us talking a little bit about this in December last semester, I had no idea that Poison Books existed. So I'm really fascinated to hear about this exhibit that you have going on. Yeah. So our exhibit is called If Books Could Kill, and it opened... Um, last Monday, so uh, late January, and it will be running through the end of April of 2022. And we're looking at the dark side of books. So when people usually think of books, they think of, I want to go to a used bookstore, get a lovely, nice copy of, you know, a book that smells like old books, or you go to like a local bookshop and get something new. You just, you love reading books. Well, there's a really dark history there of book production for pigments, for printing presses, for materials. And we're going to get into that a little bit today. Great. Let's check it out. So the first case is an introduction to the exhibit. And we're talking about what is bad and deadly about books? Is it the text? Is it the pigments? Is it the binding? Is it what's inside? Well, historically, it's all of that. (laughs) Um, So the first case, we kind of touch on the deadly nature of what is in a book that could be really bad, such as the text itself. So we have like the Malleus Maleficarum, Mm -hmm. a witch hunting guide. So this book then in essence, then inspired people to kill and hunt a bunch of women that were deemed witches. So it's the content, The right? content. Yep. Um, mein Kampf, which I don't think mm-hmm. I need to really explain. No. And um, as well as the Bible. So it has then spurred a lot of wars okay. because yep. of the content. So we touch on that a little bit to introduce you to books mm-hmm. and kind of everyone thinks of the content. So that's where we're going to start. Okay. Well, now let's get into the materiality. And that is pigments. So we have been really excited about the pigment aspect of books here in the archives. So our second case is looking at the actual pigments themselves. So we got these pigments um, from a company called Natural Pigments, and they are the historically accurate pigments of what would have been used in both book production, primarily manuscripts. Okay, so this is uh, ink? Ink, and also just then like the pigments for the color that would be used. Great. So we have like um, iron gall ink in the case, German vine black. So mm-hmm. that would then be for like actual uh, text of okay. it. But if you're going to decorate a page, you're going to need some really vibrant colors. Sure. So like ultramarine blue is a really beautifully pigmented bright blue color, um, similar to what you would think of maybe lapis lazuli. Okay. Yeah. Um, and then you have other really amazing colors. So you have some gold and copper pigments here, and we have little skull and crossbones on the ones that are then poisonous. <laughs> and you'd see a lot of them are throughout the cases. And even to this day, these are very toxic to be used. Primarily, the one that is really popular is cinnabar. It's kind of this like red, orangey, bright pigment, and it's made from the mineral cinnabar, which is then extremely toxic. So when you're handling pigments like this, you need to be very careful that you're not inhaling them. It does not get on your skin because it could have a really bad reaction. But the one that is the most deadly is our good friend, Emerald Green. There it is. 
So we have an entire case dedicated to emerald green. And we mentioned in this case that we were inspired to do this exhibit because I went to this lecture virtually um, in the fall held, hosted by the Winterthur Library because they've been doing this poison book project. And it's talking all about how they've gone through libraries and determined certain books that are poisonous, primarily with the emerald green color that is within the book cloth from the 19th century. Mm -hmm. So... We've pulled a lot of our green cloth books from our collection and the main library to show you that some of these books could in fact be bound in arsenic. So that arsenic green has been called quite a few different names, a Schweinfurt green, Paris green, and Vienna green. And what's unfortunate is the recipe was not known to many people in the 19th century and the people just kept changing the name to avoid people from knowing how poisonous and deadly it was. Oh, wow. Yes. And you'll see also in the case, I have some really beautiful wallpaper designs. Yeah, that is amazing. I mean, this interior design is just decked out in arsenic. Arsenic, yeah. yes. And wallpaper and arsenic really go hand in hand, especially with the William Morris papers. So we have some wallpaper designs scattered throughout the exhibit. So you can see how beautiful these are, but also yeah. so deadly. It's believed that even Napoleon was killed by arsenic poisoning from wallpaper oh. because of the moisture in the air from when he was exiled. Oh my goodness. You, you think about not only the people who lived in these homes and, and owned these books and handled them, but all the people involved in the production of these materials and, and their exposure that they had and the yeah. physical illnesses they may have sustained and suffered through for, for maybe years. It's, you know? it's really horrifying. And I get into that a little bit more on the smallest case that we have here. And I have a warning because this book is actually bound with arsenic containing emerald green book cloth. This, this thing is closed, right? This is okay. closed, yes. Um, so the Winterthur Library does say, though, that if we were to handle this book and if we wore the right gloves mm -hmm. and a mask and, and, you know, eyewear, we'll be fine. Okay. It's, but if you're using like a cloth glove, then you're actually um, creating an abrasion between yourself and the book, which would then cause the arsenic particles to go in the air. Oh, like flakes, flakes right? Flakes of it, yeah, exactly. Okay. Um, so this book, um, which is one of the ones that the Winterthur has identified as a book cloth that is containing the emerald green mm -hmm. um, pigment, um, we do have within our collection. So we put that on display here so you can see the beautiful color of the emerald sure. green. But it is extremely poisonous. Can you talk a little bit about how this is stored on the shelves when it's not out in the exhibit? Absolutely. So when I have it on the shelves, it's going to be by itself. And it's going to be in a plastic bag that we use for other, yeah. a lot of other books that we have. Um, the plastic bag is not acidic. Um, but it, it being then away from the other books, none of the arsenic flakes will spread and it will be perfectly safe. And okay. if you students will know not to touch this book. Yeah. And then we're okay. Um, and then we have a little description of kind of what arsenic poisoning actually does to your body. Um, it will, if so much is ingested, you can, um, vomit green waters. And um, this is a description of someone who suffered from arsenic poisoning. Um, the whites of her eyes had turned green. She told her doctor that everything she looked at was green. Wow. In her final hour, she had convulsions every few minutes until she died with an expression of great anxiety and foaming at the mouth, nose, and eyes. An autopsy confirmed that her fingernails had turned a very pronounced green and the arsenic had reached her stomach, liver, and lungs. Oh, that's horrifying. So it's a really horrifying green death oh. that you have from arsenic poisoning. And we have an image above that case detailing what that poisoning does to your hands. Yeah. So you have to be very careful, and I mentioned to our students now, that you know you wash your hands before handling our books, but I want you to wash your hands after. Afterwards, too. Because we don't know... Yeah how everything is made up so uh -huh. that you have to just take extra caution. Yeah.
So within these other cases following the emerald green, we look at other deadly and toxic pigments that could possibly be in the materials that we have out in the cases. We have to do further testing, so this is just kind of like a hypothesis of what okay. we have. Um, but we're taking a look at the historical time period that these books were produced mm -hmm. and what pigments were popular and trying to connect, uh, make that connection. Okay. Okay. So we have ones here like lead white. Obviously, lead is extremely right. poisonous. Um, Realgar, orpiment, and cinnabar and vermilion. So we have some examples of our manuscript collection from the 15th and 16th centuries mm -hmm. that may have used these materials. Okay. We have another case detailing um, coal. Um, so we, that was kind of the warm colors, the, the, the reds, reds and, and the yellows. And, yeah. and then we have some great other colors of blues, purples, and a little bit of green because you just can't talk too much about green. It's just fantastic. <laughs> Uh, my favorite story learning about the blue colors is the history of cobalt. Okay. So I always knew cobalt to be this really beautiful and vibrant blue. Um, well, there's a story about coal miners, for cobalt miners, I'm sorry. Um, so the cobalt miners would heat the ore to draw it out from the veins um, to get the cobalt color, but it's a really deadly practice. When heated, cobalt would release cobalite, which contains both arsenic and sulfur. So okay. we know arsenic, really deadly. Sulfur, it's also very stinky. Yep. Um, it's an extremely toxic vapor. It would permanently sicken or even kill you, especially the cobalt miners. Um, they blamed this danger on the kobolds, also known as the goblins of German folklore. The miners believe that this mine cavens, the toxic vapors, and the lack of precious materials in the vines were all the doings of the goblins who enjoyed fatally toying with them due to their malicious nature. So there's a history of goblins with huh. cobalt ink and pigments, <laughs> which I had no idea. No, no, I would never have thought that. That is fascinating. So yeah, I'm seeing cobalt through a totally different light now. <laughs> um, we have another case as well, m moving more away from pigments, looking at other practices um, of making a book that is dangerous, such as a printing press, how it's yeah. very easy to get um, yourself caught in the machine, sure. even still to this day, a yeah. lot of reports of that. Lime baths, so you would a book would go through a lime bath process to get the hair removed from the leather. Okay. So, and I have examples of leather and parchments in the case. So that is then taking removing the hair follicles, right? Mm -hmm. sure. So then think yes. about if you're dipping your own hand though in it, you're constantly removing hair follicles and other stuff from your hand. Yeah. So to do it over and over again is a not a great process right. for the human body. And then also book binders. So book binders um, had a very high mortality rate, actually, um, when they were constantly then doing the work because um, they were very badly ventilated spaces in doing book okay. production. Yeah. And they developed and a lot of respiratory yeah, Yep. Sure. So really bad respiratory issues. Um, they would say it's one of the worst occupations to actually have. Oh, wow. And this is all up until, um, I think it was 1871. And that started changing and getting a little better. And um, the final kind of topic I want to talk to you guys about today okay. um, is the Great Book Scare. So have you heard about the Great Book Scare? No, Andrew? this is a first for me. So it's kind of new to me, too, until we started putting together this exhibit. So the Great Book Scare was happening in the late 19th, early 20th century. And it was all about contagion with books. And we're kind of thinking about, we've dealt with this even today, talking about COVID and could you get COVID from materials? Right, right. And this is what's actually happening in that period, the late um, 19th, early 20th century. So people were believing that books could hold on to diseases such as scarlet fever and tuberculosis. Okay. So that sure. lending libraries 
then were kind of the holders of this sickness. Yeah. Yeah. So there was a giant fear about then going to the library and getting books. Librarians were kind of like, kind of, people were afraid to kind of come in contact with them because they were the ones collecting the books and then putting the books back into circulation. So there were then measures that were taken to prevent the spread of books and like this fear of disease transmission. So what they would do is they would talk about how you need to then have the books quarantined, which makes sense. It's not going to hurt the books. Mm -hmm. Sometimes then you would also have the books burned, which is not great. Um, They would also have then people say that if you are not reporting that you are sick and handling a book, you could be fined a tremendous amount of money. This was happening both in America as well as England. So they were all dealing with this. And there was one librarian death that really kind of spurred more conversation about the great book scare and that her name was Jessie Allen. Um, so she died, um, in the late 1890s and they talked about how she handled a lot of books and her name kind of then became this figure of death of the great book scare. Um, and really they were not able to prove that there was any connection between disease spreading and books. Medical professionals were saying, I, I don't, I haven't seen the proof, but people were right. still very afraid of, you know, going to libraries and getting books or bringing books back. Yeah. I mean, from some of my own research, I know this period, the the turn of the 20th century um, to be a crucial moment in public health and regulations around health and the idea of germ theory kind of coming into fashion. So this is, this is fascinating that it extended to the circulation of books. It did. Yeah. And I remember, and it kind of, brings me back to like the early pandemic days of like March 2020, April 2020. Yeah, absolutely. Because my colleagues and I in the main library were discussing what do we do when books are brought back? Do we yeah. quarantine them from X amount of days? We kept reading reports saying like, okay, it's attached to paper for how many days? Plastics right. this many right. days. So I really related to the story about the great book scare and how books would then be like the harbingers <laughs> of yeah. this disease. Um, wow. And there was still a lingering fear even after they kind of were proven that it's not going to do any harm to you. Um, and I think that's understood even to this day. People still have this kind of great fear of getting sick. Yeah. Once, once you fall into those patterns, right, it's, it's just, hard to, it's hard out to out break out of it. Yeah. So um, that was a very interesting part of research for mm-hmm. this exhibit for me to kind of then learn about the great book scare and the dangers of circulation in libraries that was believed. Yeah. It's something we can, you know, all relate to, certainly. So we kind of, like I said, in this exhibit, we look at all these different ways that books can kill you. We also talk about book dust, how the smell of old books is really just rotting leather. (laughs) Um, Red rot, which is when like the leathers of material kind of fall off the books and creates this red material that would get all over your clothes if you would handle it. Um, The bagging of books, if books are falling apart upstairs, Mm -hmm. mold in books, fungus, so we're not looking at the pretty books this time around, no. besides our pigments. They're, uh, they're a little funky. A little funky, but we love them very much. Um, and we're hopeful that people will enjoy this exhibit and kind of learn about the dark side of book production because it's been a lot of fun to put together. Yeah, I really hope our listeners come down and take a look at this fantastic exhibit that you and your students have put together. This is really great stuff. And uh, a, a lot of things here that, that you cover that, you know, neither one of us really knew about uh, a few very months, long ago. Right? No, and now you also know, which is I'm, I'm really happy that I went to that talk at the winter, the virtual yeah. one. To know that if you go into a used bookstore or your own public library, they also may not know that some of these yeah. books are bound with really bad materials. So always have caution when handling. And yeah. then just you'll be fine and safe. Just don't look a book that's really green. <laughs> <laughs> know before you go. Words yes. of wisdom. <laughs>
Well, thanks very much for sharing this with us, Candace. Sure. That's our show. To take a look at some of the materials we've discussed on this and other episodes of Drew Archives in 10, head on over to the Special Collections and University Archives website at drew.edu forward slash library forward slash S-C-U-A. You can also check out images of some of the materials at the Drew University Participatory Archives at dupaarchive.org. That's D-U-P-A-R-C-H-I-V-E dot org. There's a lot of great stuff there, and the collection is growing every week, so I hope you check it out. That's it for now. And remember, you can now find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. So if you like the show, give us a follow. If you love us, share us with a friend, or consider leaving us a rating and review. We'd love to know what you think. So for myself, Dr. Andrew Salvati, and for Candice Riley, Manager of Special Collections, we will see you next time on Drew Archives in 10.